She's on the money. She's on the money. <laughs> Welcome to She's on the Money, the podcast for millennials who want financial freedom. We're back for another Shop Back Money Diary Monday, where we have a chat to one of our beautiful community members and learn all about them and their journey and their story. And Victoria, you love to ask all the pervy questions. Oh my gosh, yes. We actually just finished the interview and now we're doing like the tops and tails, which isn't normal for us, but we're doing it now. And I'm telling you, this was a goodie. Like, Following her journey, you're going to love it. I'm obviously very biased, but Jess, do you want to read out this week's Money Diarist email for us? Let's do it. So this week's diarist said, I came from a low-income single-parent household with emotional and physical abuse. I worked my way up through TAFE with three certs and two diplomas and then went to uni after school. After a shock split with my partner in 2020, I lost my land and building contract and shortly after bought a unit all on my own while (gasps) paying for uni up front. I never had anything given to me and I want to talk about buying a house in the current market as a single and low-income earner. So I'm super excited for this one. Oh my gosh, Money Diarist as always you are on the line hello and welcome hi thank you for having me money dearest you said just before you weren't happy with your email intro my gosh (laughs) I'm so impressed with you I don't know what you're talking about (laughs) thank you Jess and I obviously I hadn't heard it yet but Jess was clearly impressed enough to be like do you know what money dearest we're getting you on the show and I cannot wait to get into it so without further ado let's just jump straight in my friend First question, what is your attitude towards money? I have, like, I mean, given my background, um, it was just me and my mum. She was quite a low-income earner. She was working as, like, a a teacher's aide in school. So she had a mortgage on her own, and in the household it was always very well verbalised that, oh, we don't have enough money. So it had, like, that scarcity mindset really early on. Um, So my attitude's kind of like kept that way. And after moving out and stuff, I, I just had that, that drive to be like, okay, well, no, I don't want to struggle and I don't want to feel this stress towards money. I mean, I saw it affect my mum, like mental health wise, she really struggled. And, you know, even we were on food stamps a lot of the time. And I mean, as a kid, like I was quite embarrassed at the supermarket, but I, I didn't really fully realize the extent of struggle that she had on her and yeah. the pressure of that as a single mom. So yeah, I'd say that's that's probably my still my attitude towards money a bit. Yeah. I mean, that's your money story and that's like where you've come from and what's going on in your life. And to be a bit cheeky, I want to ask another question before we get into it, even though I meant yes. to wait to the end. I'm sorry. <laughs> Do you know anything about what your mum's money story was? Like is this a cycle? Is this something that, you know, her parents grew up in the same way or is this something where, you know, it was just really tough? Like, tell me a little bit about that. Thank you for asking. I actually feel like it's really interesting because it is, I think it's a generational thing. Um, I mean, my grandma came from Hungary. She struggled. She worked like five jobs to support her three kids. I mean, they were all like under five when they came over. And so the struggle was there when she was a child as well. And in her household, yeah, they all had to get jobs when they were like 10 just to support everyone it's really interesting and I mean 
uh, my mum bought a house really young as well with her partner or my dad <laughs> and it kind of went downhill when she got cancer. So oh, just no. before I was born, she had breast cancer and I think that changed her mentality towards money as well. So she went from like doing really well financially and setting herself up to struggling mentally with with the whole cancer diagnosis and it just became this thing where she would actually spend all her money. So she started like buying things to kind of fill that gap, I guess you could say. Yeah. So yeah, when I was sort of growing up, she became like quite like even though she was low income trying to pay the mortgage, trying to pay food, she also bought a lot of things, like material things. Um, so I kind of saw that and from a young age I kind of learned like, okay, well, why why is this happening? Like if you could pay, the, you know, mortgage and not be worried instead of buying these items that you haven't or you won't touch in years. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of – it's quite interesting, yeah, that side. That is actually super interesting and I ask because often – it is a cycle and you learn from other people's money stories and it takes very conscious decisions to change your money story, but you have to acknowledge where you've come from and where that might've come from and why that's the case and go, well, why do I feel like that about money? Why does it really frustrate me? Or why does it make me feel sick? And it's like, well, that's because that's how you grew up and that makes sense. And there's no shame in money stories because they're not actually our fault. They're not actually our choosing. No one chooses their initial money story. But the cool thing about money stories is that you get to choose where they go once we're an adult and once we're able to, you know, format that journey. And it sounds like, and I'm not jumping ahead, I promise, but it sounds like (laughs) you've done a really good job of changing that from the sound of what you wrote in. So, next question, my friend, is what do you do for work and how much money do you earn? So, um, at the start of this year, I actually took quite a big pay cut. It was over 20000 um, Oh, my gosh. To leave. I was a disability support worker for five years. Um, mm-hmm. I injured my back when I was 21 and was on work cover. So, I kind of wanted to get out of that because I just kept – it just kept happening. Like, I just kept re-aggravating the injury and I knew oh. I had to get out. So, at the moment, I'm working from home um, within like a NDIS provider. So, the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Um mainly more on like the invoicing kind of side of the organization. Um, and I'm really enjoying that. Oh, I'm so glad. It sucks that you had to take a pay cut, but you went $20,000 down from what to what, my friend? Yep, we want sorry. the nitty- <laughs> No, we want the nitty gritty. This is I she's on the it. money. <laughs> We're not elusive here, my friend. Yeah. So, um, last year, I think I got up to about 74K. Um, that was part-time as well, but you know, a lot of weekends, a lot of sleepovers, yeah. a lot of public holidays. Um, and now I'm on about 52. But that is, it's one of those things, right? I don't think people realize the time and energy and effort and mental load working in disability puts on you. It's such a special job and anyone who works in that, oh my gosh, you are so special, but it's also like, okay, I get that the money would have been really good, but I know that would have been quite taxing as well. And often it's something that we do need to care for our mental health personally and our own physical health and put ourselves first because you do all this caring for all the other people. You need to remember yourself as well. 
Yeah, it took me about four years to realize that. But yeah. Oh, well, I'm glad it was only four. <laughs> that doesn't mean you can't do that type of work. It's just I think that a lot of people who work in those areas are so selfless and they are so kind that it's always about other people and never about them. So if you work in that industry and you resonate with that, please care for yourself because you can't pour from an empty cup. So next question is, Money Doris, what is your big money goal? <sighs> Goal or goals? <laughs> goals, I, uh, sorry. What are your big money goals? I've got too many. I have. I place a lot of emphasis on goals and I'm a stickler oh, for meeting them. Um, I guess that's how I've got so far to this point. Um, but at the moment, it's mainly just like paying extra off the mortgage and really building up my investment portfolio. I do want financial freedom and I do want the option to retire early. So mm-hmm. that's the big goal. Oh my gosh, the money diarist we spoke to just before you said that she also wanted to retire earlier. Money diarist, could you tell us what that means though? What does retire early mean to you? For me, it's just, I know a lot of people talk about like F you money and stuff like that when it comes to like, if you need to leave your job or just having the freedom to be able to do that. Um, So for me, it's like not necessarily retiring early, but having the option to, or even going to part-time and doing, you know, more travel or more volunteering, things like that. Mm -hmm. And just, yeah. So just the the freedom. So it's not necessarily a number for you. It's not, all right, well, I want to retire by 50. It's, I want more financial freedom in my life to make the decisions along the journey. Would that be about right? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I love that. I love asking people what that actually means because I think that we have in our head that retirement's an age and in our head retirement is like, oh, it's 65, when in reality retirement's actually a financial situation. It's a situation in which you can make more flexible decisions and for a lot of people, they just assume that means that you don't work at all. Whereas some people are like, no, 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 I just want more flexibility to do the things that I love and the things that I'm passionate about. And I think we really need to reframe what retirement looks like because too many times we just think it's for people who are a bit older than us, when in reality, you can start working towards a level of financial freedom yourself. I don't know. I just think we should reframe that. Next question for you though is do you currently have any investments if so what are they i do um so i'd just like to start with super i do have super yes <laughs> one should have it luckily i i love that it's going up as well like mm-hmm. the minimum contributions and stuff um so there's about i think that's i'm at forty three thousand at the moment oh and how old were you money diarist i'm 25 That is a very good amount of money in superannuation for your age. Why have you got so much in comparison to the average bear? I don't know because I actually haven't started contributing extra yet um, just because I was saving for my house. Um, So I kind of put that on the back burner. I was like, oh, I'll do it after I after that's done kind of thing. It doesn't Um, sound like it was on the back burner at all. How (laughs) old were you when you got your first job? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think it was because I started work early. I mean, 14 and nine months, I was like, KFC. (laughs) That's a good first job. (laughs) Oh my gosh, those were the days. But when you start working really early, you do start contributing to super if you meet the requirements. And the earlier you start contributing, the more time it has to compound. So it kind of makes sense that if you were one of those people that started really early, you would actually be in for a better innings when it comes to super. And obviously this is personal, but my partner, Steve, 
I remember looking at his super and being like, what? How did you do this? Like, you are so young. And it was just because he worked so much from such a young age. And I was like, oh, you really were a hustler from the start. (laughs) So, it's not necessarily about having to make contributions in addition to your super. It's actually sometimes you got the lucky end of the stick and started working early and you might not have known the prominence of it then, but you sure do now. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, I've also got some shares outside of that. So, ETFs. In an LIC. Um, so there's about 14,000, just over 14,000 in, in my accounts at the moment there too. But mm-hmm. yeah, like I said before, one of my goals is to really build that up. I mean, compound interest. Yes. All the time, but yeah. <laughs> I sound like a broken record sometimes, but I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry at all. Good. <laughs> Next question, Money Darist. Do you currently have any debts? So, no, I mean, I think it's part of my upbringing and scarcity mindset type. I paid all my uni upfront. I know that you speak a lot about um, hex debts and, and good debts versus bad debts, um, but I guess my values are more aligned to just not having any because I still feel the stress or would feel the stress if I did have a hex. Um, and, yeah, so it's pretty much just the house. So how much of a mortgage have you got on the house? <sighs> Oh, I have a big, big one for my income. Um, so at the moment, I think it's currently at uh, three hundred and seventy thousand. That's so exciting, though, that you've secured a mortgage like that all on your own and you're killing it. The next question, though, is what does that mean for your cash flow? So if you've got a mortgage, how much are you paying each and every single month? Yes. Um, so I'm, like my minimum payments are pretty much what I was paying in rent. So that's really cool. Um, that is very cool. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it just made it worth it for me in the current market. Seems like a big risk to to buy in at such a high high um, prices, but mm-hmm. yeah, I just kind of weighed up all the um, all the extra fees and stuff. So at the moment, I'm putting in about I think it's like maybe four hundred a fortnight extra. Oh, epic. Congratulations. I feel like that is no mean feat. It's a little bit tired on the current budget. (laughs) (laughs) Next question that's not on the list, though. I want to know how much your purchase price was and how much of a deposit you were able to save. Yes. Awesome. Asking the good questions. (laughs) I'm trying. I'm literally being so pervy. I'm like, I don't mean to overstep the line, but like, if you've got a mortgage, please tell us. Yes. I feel like property at the moment is such a hot topic and there are so many of us that are feeling really disenchanted with the whole journey because property is performing crazily. But I just want to know because it's so achievable if you put your mind to it. And I know that for so many people, they'll have their heads in the sand or they'll say, look, it's just never going to happen to me or it's not going to be possible. But you've obviously been through a lot and we'll get into that later. But how much of a deposit did you save? How did you do it? How did you get into your first place? Yep. So I had a $50,000 deposit. I paid my like extra fees on top of that as well, but I did pay LMI because it was only about 10%. So I bought, uh, I bought it for well, a unit in mm-hmm. on the peninsula. So Oh, yes. I'm um, from the peninsula. Goodbye. Yes. <laughs> so it was 429,000. Um, so yeah, I guess my mortgage came in at like about, oh, I think it was 382 or something. Mm-hmm. When, I ha- when I, it all settled and everything, um, I had put in a lot of money previously in a land that I had bought with my partner. So we yeah. were like in a year and a half, we'd paid down like 
80,000. So there was only 50,000 left <gasps> on that wow. loan. Yeah. So when we sold, we got really lucky because normally land doesn't really go up that much and it was regional as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were really lucky to sell and I like I just got back what I put in. So it wasn't any extra, okay. but we were really lucky. So it was a bit of a get... break even so that yeah. you didn't end up losing anything. That's a nice outcome. Yeah. So that's that's pretty much where my deposit came from. So, I mean, even if I didn't have no bought the land, I would have been saving. You would have had that, that in savings. Amount. So, yeah. Very cool. All right, Money Diaries, before I ask too many more pervy questions, <laughs> the next question is, do you currently use ShopBack? No, I don't. <laughs> Who <laughs> really is bad. she? Because every podcast I listen to pretty much for the last couple of months, every day I'm like, no, I'm going to do it after work. Like I'll just download it on the computer and I'll use it. But I'm not very much of a spender either online. I really try to withhold as much as I can with that unless I really need something. So I feel like that is yeah. a very fine way to live. That's still a good money habit. Speaking of good money habits, what is your best money habit? So I actually have been thinking about this because I've really struggled and I, I don't know why it sounds really bad, but um, I was talking to my best friend last night about this and she helped me a lot. So basically I think my best money habit is setting achievable goals and following through. Like I'm a real stickler for goals and, but making sure that they're attainable, like Obviously, if you set something that you just can't follow through on, like you're going to feel pretty crappy and you're not going to feel accomplished with that. So in saying that, like it's also that's kind of carried me through in terms of like not getting into debt and things like that as well. So I think it's like really important to have those little goals and make them achievable. I couldn't agree more. But my next follow up question is, how do you personally set attainable goals? Like, what does that mean to you? What's that process look like? How do we learn from you? It's probably actually really bad advice personally because I don't That's really all right. have we a take, bit of a system. We take all advice <laughs> in this house. Um, but normally, like, if it's to do with money, say, for example, like, I got an alfresco built because it was such a big thing for me and I had to compromise a lot on stuff where I bought. So, I was mm-hmm. like, no, I need an alfresco. So, I... I I had, okay, I said, look, this is a goal. I still want to keep adding more to the mortgage. How am I going to make this work? So I looked at my budget and I'm like, okay, well, there's not a lot, (laughs) there's not a lot of wiggle room here. Um, But I basically, yeah, just broke it down and was like, okay, well, what can I afford each week? And how long is this going to take to pay back? Because I did use my savings, but I, I I want to rebuild that because it's really important to me. Yeah. So yeah, I just broke it down and I was like, okay, this is eight months. I'll get it done now and then in eight months I'll have that money back. Um, or I could have, if I didn't have that money in the budget, I would have been like, oh, well, I just wait eight months and then I'll get it done. I feel like that is actually a process though, my friend. You're saying, <laughs> oh, I don't really have one. But then you're like, oh, yeah, so it- I know I said I don't have one, but I broke it down and then I worked out how many months I had and I worked backwards like, okay, you're a goal-setting queen just by default. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next question, complete pivot. What is your worst money habit? So I guess it's like the opposite to my best in a way. Like I am very, very harsh on myself if if things have to change and I'm not very lenient when it comes to my goals. So – if life circumstances change, for example, like my, my income getting smaller, I was just in my head 
saying, no, nothing's going to be able to give. Like my goals are too strong. I couldn't decide, you know, okay, well, what is actually the thing that's going to have to take precedence here? I think that we also don't really talk about that enough is that being so strong in your financial goals as well can also lead to stress Mm -hmm. and it can also feel like a burden as well. So I'm really trying to work on that inner stuff with being okay with where I'm at and not being so harsh and critical of of where I want to go. I think that that is a really good goal and it's something that so many of us struggle with. I actually saw something online, so I can't take credit for this, but someone online and I, I think it was like one of those text inspirational posts. I think I reposted it, but sometimes these things really resonate with me and I'm always like, oh my gosh. But it essentially said, if someone was as critical of me as I am of me, I wouldn't want to spend an hour with that person but I have to spend 24 hours a day with myself. So I probably should learn to be a little bit less critical. And that's true. Like if you were, if you were super critical of me for even an hour, I wouldn't want to have anything to do with you. Why are we so critical of ourselves? Like we have to live with ourselves. So I think that it's really important to realize that, but then also really work on that because when you're self-critical, it's not impacting anybody else, but you negatively. It serves absolutely no purpose, absolutely no benefit. And being kind to yourself, it's exactly the same. It doesn't impact anybody else, but you, but in the best of ways, it is so positive and that will then radiate out of you. And I love that. So hopefully that's a nice way to wrap a worst money habit. Last question before we go to a quick break, though. Money Diarist, if we forced you to give your money habits a grade, what would you grade them? I hate to be the stereotypical response, um, but I would probably say an A- minus due to Oh, that is not stereotypical. <laughs> I, I love when people back themselves. Yeah, I um, my takeaway habits are, have been just off the rails and especially with the lockdowns, I'm like, I can't do anything, so I'll just order in. Um, oh I don't gosh, love no. cooking either, so That's normally I'm fair. <laughs> We're living within our values. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, yeah, just my, my income, like raising my income as well, I think would really change that as well. I agree, but I think you're doing epically as you are. So we'll head to a quick break. And right after that, I want to deep dive more into money stories. All right, we are back and Money Diarist, I want to know a little bit more about your background and your money story and how you've really been working on that and how that's impacted you as an adult. You've obviously completely changed your personal situation. You've gone from, you know, living paycheck to paycheck and having food stamps and, you know, growing up in a world where money was really frugal. Does that still impact you day to day? And if so, how and how do you overcome that? Yeah. So, um, I mean, it was a big factor in why I wanted to buy a house. Um, I mean, it's, it's just that, you know, you've got a roof over your head, you know, you've got that security. I mean, it's one of the biggest, uh, needs for a human really. So I've really carried that through, but I feel like it's been in a really positive way as well. And I have my mom to thank for that in the sense of it's driven me and it's, it's helped me create my goals and work towards those things because I, I don't want to have that struggle and I, I don't want others to have that struggle either. 
But yeah, it's also that, that cutting, cutting slack as well when, when you're too driven and you're like, okay, well, you can actually take a bit of a break now. Like you're okay. You're not, <laughs> you're not compromised or anything. Do you find that you put a lot of pressure on yourself because you have worked so hard to change it? So when you have an inkling of, you know, maybe a not so good habit creeping in, you're maybe a little bit extra harsh on yourself than everybody else might be? Yeah. Well, I think we hear it all the time. Like, life events happen and if even just a little thing in someone's life can completely change um, their situation financially. Yeah, absolutely. And how's your mum doing now? I want to know how that's going. Like you said that her (laughs) money story wasn't great. What's she up to? She's she's still a massive hoarder. Like I don't don't exaggerate. Like I don't know if you've seen extreme hoarders, but like that's where we're at. Um, But somehow this woman is a legend and – she has a, high, a really high income at the moment, so she's paying down her mortgage. I'm trying to convince her to get it done before retirement because she's getting to that age. Yes. And she hasn't thought about it because as everyone, oh, it, you know, that's forever away. That's ages away. And then it comes up and it's it's right there. So, yeah, she's she's doing a lot better. I'm actually really interested in something you just said, and you said she's actually a hoarder, and that is something that is so common when you have grown up in poverty because people who don't have the privilege of money don't actually have the privilege of being able to throw things away, and often that then manifests itself once you do have a higher income and you do have financial security in in having that feeling of wanting to hold on and not wanting to let go of things because maybe one day I'll need them or maybe one day someone else will need them or I'm trying to care for these things or I've worked so hard for these things. Do you think that creaks into your money story at all in any which way? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> How does that manifest for you? I just am a little bit the opposite. <laughs> I I don't like clutter. I don't like things in the house um, unless it's super sentimental to me, which a lot of things aren't. Um, I have a little small keepsake things that do. Um, but, yeah, I just don't like stuff and it stresses me out more having too much stuff. So I guess that also helps in terms of like financial goals because I'm not – I'm not buying materialistic things all the time and I'm mm-hmm. things that I don't need. I mean, even my friends, like I bought a phone three years ago for like $200 and everyone was like, why do you get a new phone now? Because it doesn't work properly. And I dropped it. It has like, it's one of those generic cracked everywhere screens. And I'm like, it's fine. It still works. Like I don't need to buy a new one. It's just the same <laughs> thing. It works fine. Thanks though. <laughs> So it's, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to work around that a bit more, like the more comfortable I get financially as well. I think the more I can kind of relax a little bit and I can get things that I want um, and not have to worry as much. But yeah, I'd say that it definitely had an impact on me in that sense. Yeah, no, that absolutely makes sense. So when we talk about money stories and how that works and, you know, before you mentioned that you sold some land with, I'm assuming, an ex-partner, yes. <laughs> how did that happen and how did you protect yourself through that? So obviously you never buy land with someone if you don't think it's going to be lasting and then it obviously didn't. What was the situation there and how did you deal financially through that? Yeah. So, I mean, it's quite scary. I was with my ex for nearly five years. So we mm-hmm. we were together four years when we bought the land. We thought it was long-term, obviously, at the time, as everyone does. I didn't get like any sort of 
um, like agreements done up or anything because we went into the contract 50, 50. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually quite a compromise when I talk about it, I guess. Um, cause I had more of a deposit at the time. So he ended up adding extra to the mortgage over the year and a half. So it ended up working out that we were equal, um, which I wouldn't recommend because it is quite a risk because if the contract says 50, 50 and something goes bad, um, you do have the risk of not getting all of your money back, so to speak. But that's what I did. And I mean, at the time it it worked for me, I got lucky with that. It wasn't a huge sum of money either. So I guess I kind of weighed up the risk in that sense. So yeah, we like ended up signing contracts to build. Like I did everything. Like we picked out everything like cupboards like it was all done signed oh, no. locked in. how stressful yeah so this was in um october last year so october 2020 mm-hmm. and about two weeks later it's like i can't do this there was this childhood trauma that came up and it just completely like ruined him like couldn't cope like it was really extreme and it was horrible what came up for him and he just wanted to be back with family. So his family was interstate and with all the lockdowns and everything, he hadn't seen them in so long and his mum got yeah. really sick. Um, so I think like that, all that affected him and it was just like, no, I can't do this. Like, we've, So we've got to get out of it. And I was like, okay, game planning mode. How are we going to get out of this safely? Like, are we going to get our money back? Because we paid the deposit for the build and everything. Like, it was super locked in. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So yeah, luckily it was the right time to sell. Um, land would just went nuts in the area. Um, well, every area really. Mm. So yeah, like I said before, we broke even kind of with all our costs that we put into it split amicably. I was lucky that, yeah, he didn't, he was super chill about it because he knew like we had got up to that point. Like I was asking, are you sure? Are you sure? Like, are you ready? Like, is this okay? And it was like, yep, yep, yep. And then nah. <laughs> when I sold the land, I, I was in a rush and I got in organizational mode and I was just like, okay, let's get through this the best we can yeah, and just sort it out the best way possible. At the time, I actually wish that I had have engaged with my broker um, because I didn't think I'd have the borrowing power to buy him out. Um, right. You just assumed instead yeah. of having the conversation. Yeah. And I was just like, nah, get rid of it. Like, don't want to deal with that kind of thing. It's too stressful yeah. at the moment. Um, but in hindsight now, I thought it would have been a better idea if I just had have checked out with my broker and been like, look, what's my borrowing capacity? Because I didn't actually know on my own what it would be. Um, I just assumed it would just not be enough. And do you think that you would have been able to buy him out if you'd had that conversation yeah so unfortunately (laughs) with all the regional and first home owner loan like grants and everything I would have come out very very nicely with a brand new house on a big property um oh no if I had of but that's the joys of hindsight um I didn't get any grants with the unit that I bought Uh, I wasn't able to so I I think yeah it's just kind of having a think about it and just engaging the banks or the broker and just seeing where you're at. And just having that conversation. And I know that so many people are like, no, like I know it's not possible, but 
It might be. So have the conversation and I promise you, your broker is going to be able to talk to you about that situation and talk to you about what is possible. I just, oh, I wish you had, but at the same time, I'm a genuine (laughs) believer that everything works out for the best and everything works out for a reason. And I'm sure that there is a reason that didn't work out and that you're in your little unit all by yourself for good reason. (laughs) So, you went from being so certain on everything to one day finding out that maybe this wasn't going to work out and he was over and out. And it sounds like you guys were really amicable and it wasn't something that you guys could have, you know, it wasn't like he cheated on you and it was all savage. It was a pretty shitty situation, it sounds like, if we're being honest. Well, I mean, um, like I probably forgot to mention, like he had been struggling with mental health pretty much the whole time I was with him. So I guess in that sense, like it wasn't a huge shock. Right. Um, it was just what happened, I guess, and him leaving because it was always like, no, we'll just we get, we'll work this out together. Like, yeah, and then it kind of changed. And then it just didn't work out. And that's <laughs> yeah. so okay, but that is one of the reasons why when going into a really big purchase with somebody else, you have really clear exit guidelines. And I'm not saying this because I'm so negative about relationships, but well, what happens if this doesn't work out? Are we going to keep it? Are we going to own it together? Or are we going to sell it? Are we going to wait until the market recovers? Like what if the market wasn't doing well when he said, ah, oh, I want out and you both would have lost a significant amount of money? It could have been an, a not so good outcome for both of you. Luckily it wasn't. But it could have been quite negative. So I think it's so important that if you're in a relationship, you have these conversations before it happens. Thankfully, it's all sorted out for you, Money Diarist. And you now are a fancy little homeowner. You've got your (laughs) unit. You've got your alfresco area. (laughs) What does, and it's probably too early to ask this question, but how are you going to protect yourself in the event that you get into another relationship into the future? Yeah, so I think it's really hard, like with um, Australian legislation and stuff, I mean, de facto relationships, you're kind of pretty locked in even if you're not married. Yes, <laughs> so you it's are. it's a bit of a fear and I have thought about it a lot. Um, I mean, I know there's been a lot of mixed sort of opinions that, that I've well, that I've found with like binding financial agreements and things like that. Um So I'd I'd still rather put in that money, even if it didn't hold up later on, like at least you had something kind of thing for that. Um, And also just being like really aware, like when I, like if I do meet someone kind of thing, just being aware of like, oh, if they're staying or if they're paying for things around the house, like that could all contribute later on and they can have a stake at that. I think it's important to have the conversation and it doesn't mean that there's a right or a wrong way, but I think it's just important to have thought about it because I I can completely understand where you're coming from because that's your mindset. And you're like, you know what? That'll work out. I'll do it this way and that way. And that that's so fine. I just think that too many people go into these situations having not had it even cross their mind. So it's nice to know you're like, do you know what? I kind of know what this will look like, but I'll work it out when I get there. But Money Diarist, I do think that that is all we have time for today. What a special story. Thank you so much for sharing so much about you and your mum and your journey. And oh, I feel like we've learned so much from this and I'm so insanely proud of everything you've achieved. 
Thank you so much. Honestly, without Money Diarists writing in their stories and sharing them with us, we can't have this podcast. So I'm so, so grateful for you. But as I mentioned, that is all we have time for today. So just before we head off, we'd like to acknowledge and pay respect to Australia's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. They're the traditional custodians of the lands, the waterways and the skies all across Australia. We thank you for sharing and for caring for the land on which we are able to learn. We pay our respects to elders past and present and we share our friendship and our kindness. And the advice shared on She's on the Money is general in nature and does not consider your individual circumstances. She's on the Money exists purely for educational purposes and shouldn't be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. And we promise Victoria Divine is an authorised representative of Australia Pacific Funds Management Proprietary Limited, ABN 34132463257, AFSL 339151. See you next week, guys. Bye.